Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. You know, one of the greatest dangers that God's people face is the danger of forgetting God. See, to forget God is really quite simple. You don't need to do anything. You literally don't have to do anything. You just go on each day not doing anything, not acknowledging God. That's a sure step to that that pathway of forgetting God. And this was a, a, a warning that God would regularly give to the people of Israel. In fact, and they would be, even as a nation, be guilty of this. Let me just read to you a few passages. Deuteronomy 4, 9 says this. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. The things that you have seen, what God is talking about is God's working, the way God has provided for them and worked in such wondrous ways. Don't forget them. Don't, don't, don't forget them uh, all the days of your life. In fact, make them known to your children and your children's children. Deuteronomy 6.12 says, Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Jeremiah 2 and verse 32 says, Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me without number. I want to read just one more passage, and I think it'll help us to see the significance of this passage of Jacob prospering. Uh, Hopefully, it'll help us understand the significance of it. And this is in Deuteronomy 8, verses 7 through 19. Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 19. It says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full and You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now here comes the warning. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live with them, 
And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. See, the issue with prosperity is this. That when we become prosperous, when God's people become prosperous, there's a tendency then to lean on our own self-sufficiency, on our own understanding, on our own ways and our own whims and strength. And bit by bit, rather than giving glory to God, saying, God, you have been so faithful. You have been so good to me. The focus turns on self. And where we become puffed up, and then we forget, start forgetting God. And then we don't honor Him. And the issue with that is, and the more people move away from God like that, where they become puffed up and they forget God and there's that self-focus. And if they continue down that path, not only will it be their ruin, but it'll also be the ruin of their children and their children's children. When they forget to acknowledge God for what He has done, and they don't share this with their children and their children's children, then not only they, but they and their children and their children's children will turn to idols and turn away from this great and good God. See, the reason why God makes His children prosperous, whatever it may be, is so that ultimately we give Him the glory and so that ultimately with whatever he has prospered us, there's a stewardship issue. That then not only would we give him glory, we would use that prosperity, whatever it is, to bless others and even call upon others to say, look at this great God, how good is he? Let's all worship this great God, whether it be with our children or with others. Now, this is a passage where we see Jacob prospering. And what's interesting is 
as we've traced these patriarchs, whether it's Abraham or Isaac and even Jacob, you know, despite all their sinfulness and sinful tendencies and waywardness, God still blesses them. And he's, what he's showing through all this is that God is being faithful to his covenant to Abraham. If you remember way back when he made that covenant with Abraham, God said, I will be faithful to this covenant, even if the other party will not be faithful. And that's what is continuing to be shown here. And even as we saw last week where God has prospered the seed of Jacob, where he's had multiple sons, now God is going to prosper Jacob once again materially. So I've titled this morning's sermon as God Prospers Jacob. And we'll look at this under two headings. We'll look at Jacob's deal or contract in verses 25 to 34. And then we'll look at Jacob's prosperity in verses 35 all the way down to uh, chapter 31 and verse 16. Now the bulk of our time will be spent in the uh, second point as the first point will be shorter. But nonetheless, there's some things that we need to see even in the first point. So firstly, Jacob's contract or Jacob's deal with uh, Laban. Verse 25. Now as soon as Rachel had born Jacob, had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go for you know the service that I have given you. So at this point, 14 years have passed since Jacob has come to Laban's house. He came there fleeing for his life from his brother Esau, and he also came there to look for a wife. The first seven years, Jacob worked for Laban, thinking he would get to marry the younger daughter, Rachel. But he was deceived, and he got Leah, the older daughter, as his wife instead. And then Jacob had to work another seven years for Laban as bride money for Rachel. And at this point, Jacob now has 11 sons and a daughter. Remember God's promise, that Abrahamic promise, that he would be a great nation, that his descendants would be like the dust of the earth. That is slowly coming to fruition. And as soon as Rachel, the wife that he loved so dearly, bore Joseph, Jacob now wants to go back home to, to his homeland. In fact, the word for country there is literally the word land, meaning he wants to go back to the promised land, the land of his fathers. It's been 14 years for working for Laban, and Laban hasn't particularly been nice to Jacob. He has only deceived him. And now Jacob has not just one wife, but four wives 
11 sons and a daughter, including a son from the wife that he loved. And so he's come there, he's got his wives, he's got children, now he wants to go back home. But given Jacob has been working for so long for Laban, and he's married two of his daughters, and essentially has, part, has been part of Laban's household for so long, now Jacob comes and asks to leave Laban's home. He essentially says, I fulfilled my responsibility to you, paying the full bridal price by serving you all these years. Now give me my wives and my children so I can go back to my land and my home. Now look at how Laban responds. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, now that's just general courtesy. Or you can say, you know, Mr. Deceptive Laban is putting on a bit of butter. You know, he's trying to flatter Jacob a little bit because he's trying to think of, okay, I've got to think of something here to make Jacob stay back. And he says, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Now, what's divination? That's witchcraft or, or sorcery. Now, this would be strictly forbidden by the law later on for the people of Israel. But at this point, you know, Laban has used some sort of witchcraft or sorcery. And it, is, and it has revealed to him that it is the Lord, Yahweh, who has blessed Laban because of Jacob. Now, divination is a sinful thing. Now, this is not somehow showing, look how mighty divination is or sorcery or witchcraft is. But what it's showing is that the Lord, on this occasion, graciously accommodates himself to Laban's witchcraft. Why? So that he would know that it was the Lord who blessed Laban through Jacob. Jacob, the chosen one, the, the seed of Abraham. You remember previously, like King Abimelech in the past, acknowledged, hey, God's blessing on Abraham's life. Or Abimelech number two sees Isaac's life and says, oh, God's blessing is in your life. Now, again, Laban, the outsider, also confesses God's blessing is with Jacob. And because of Laban's connection with Jacob, Laban is also blessed by the Lord. And there's also a sense in which, you know, because this is the blessed line, you know, God said, I will bless those who bless you. So Laban, by association, by associating with Jacob, is the beneficiary of God's blessing at this point. So even that's slowly being fulfilled here. Now at this point, so Laban says, Oh, it is the Lord God who has blessed me through you. So at this point, Laban should be thinking, Oh, you know what? I shouldn't be messing around with uh, this, this one who has the blessing of the Lord. I mean, he's been such a blessing to me, I should try and bless him. Or at the very least, I should let him go if he says he wants to go. No, he's not thinking that way at all. 
Or perhaps he should at least be thinking, wow, this, this Lord has blessed Abraham and I saw his servant when he came and all of that. And now this guy too, by him being here, I'm being blessed. And, but he has no interest in this Lord, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. In fact, I would say he's not even acting like a loving father-in-law. You know, forget all that. He's not even acting like a loving father-in-law. All Laban is thinking of is money. Laban knows that he's become prosperous because of Jacob. And he's thinking, oh, if Jacob leaves the source of my blessing and prosperity... Oh, that's not going to help my bank balance. So Laban doesn't want to let Jacob go. Instead, now he puts an offer to Jacob. Verse 28. Name your wages and I will give it. You know, the last time Laban said those words to Jacob, name your wages, that's when Laban deceived Jacob. For seven years, he worked for a woman that he thought he was get getting, and then he got another woman instead. So Laban is not to be trusted as he's trying to negotiate with Jacob to stay with him longer. Look at Jacob's response, verse 29. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? So Jacob essentially reiterates to Laban. He says, look, I've served you faithfully all this while. And Laban Realize, before I came, you had very little. But since I came, you have prospered greatly. And for the first time here, even Jacob acknowledges that it is the Lord. This is the Lord's blessing. And there's a sense in which through, through these 14 years of the Lord's disciplining through this man Laban, Jacob is slowly beginning to understand that this blessing is coming from the Lord. But the problem is this, Jacob says. All these years I worked for you, Laban. You are getting rich. But as for me, I'm still the same as day one. I came with nothing. I still have nothing. I want to now provide for my family and my children and have my own household and my own thing going. Verse 31. He, that is, Laban says, what shall I give you? Laban's still persistent. You know, I'll, I'll give you something for it. Just, just name your price. Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. 
Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and the speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. Now, in those days, you know, most sheep were fully white. And most goats were either fully black or brown. And sometimes there were those that were speckled or spotted or even black sheep. They were the minority, the the oddballs that were considered less valuable. In fact, some people even think the term black sheep, referring to the odd one out, actually comes from this verse in the Bible, its usage in the English. I don't know how true that is, but Google seemed to think so. So Jacob essentially says, give me these oddly colored animals from your flock, and then even going forward, those yet to be born. Yeah, it's going to be a significantly small number, but that'll be my wages. That's how I'll take my wages. Laban, you don't give me anything. Because Jacob knows his father-in-law well. He knows he can deceive him anytime. So he doesn't trust him completely. And knowing Laban is a shrewd businessman, Jacob tells Laban, hey, this is a foolproof system. There's no way I can steal or cheat in this deal or contract I'm making with you. Look at verse 33. Jacob says, So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. So essentially, Jacob says, if ever there's anything other than these odd-colored animals, if there are solid-colored animals, then, hey, you can consider it stolen. So I can't fudge in this in any way. So as far as Laban is concerned, this is a great bargain. I mean, Jacob is going to continue to look after my flock. His wages, it's not much, it's just the, you know, odd discolored uh, animals. They're so few in number. And if at all he tries to cheat, he'll be easily found out. So this is a great deal for Laban. And so verse 34, Laban says, good, you know, exclamation point. There's, There's a sense of excitement here. Let it be as you have said. You know, I would imagine that at this point, Laban had a big grin on his face. Now, just a short application here before we go on to the the bigger point. That's the second point. Laban is a difficult person, no doubt. I mean, for 14 years, he's been difficult, and he will continue to be difficult for Jacob. And yet... What is the kind of response that, you know, as we think of difficult people like this, what is the kind of response that we should have as God's people, as Christians, as believers? 
You know, maybe you have a Laban in your life. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's someone in your workplace. Maybe it's someone in your school or your neighborhood. Some kind of Laban-like figure in your life. How, how are you to respond to such a difficult person? I mean, are we to respond in kind? Okay, here's a person who's always mean to me, deceives me, treats me unjustly. So, you know, tit for tat. Let me return the favor and be mean and rude and deceive the person as well. Or let, let me... Uh, do whatever he has done to me. I mean, is retaliation, is that the way God's people are to live when we have difficult people around? No. In fact, Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. In the way you would like to be treated, you treat others that way. Even if they are difficult. You see, we should never take things into our own hands. We should never do a tit-for-tat, you know, fire-for-fire kind of uh, thing. But we should understand that we are people who trust in this great and good God. And as we realize that, as we are relying on Him, trusting in Him, trusting that He will work all things for our good and for His glory then realizing that should cause us to act in a certain way, where we do to others only as they would, you would have them do to you. Now let's quickly move on to our second and bigger point. Jacob's prosperity in verses 35 all the way down to verse 16 of the next chapter. Jacob's prosperity. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted and every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons. And he set them a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Remember just a few verses ago, back in verse 32, Jacob said that he would remove the odd-colored animals from the flock. But what does Laban do? He steps in, and on that very day that they made that contract, he steps in and cheats Jacob. Laban tells his sons, hey, get all the odd-colored animals, all the sheep and goats that are odd-colored from my flock. Take them far away from here, a three-day journey away from here. And he was doing that. When you think about it, those were the animals that Jacob was meant to get. See, Laban wasn't risking anything. I mean, you want to talk about a shrewd businessman and a, almost a cold-blooded shrewd businessman? Laban's the kind. See, by removing all the odd-colored animals, Jacob would now have to start with a flock with just plain-colored sheep 
and goats. Now, at least naturally speaking, statistically speaking, Jacob would have less of a chance to get these odd-colored animals. Laban is a heartless cheat of a man who is only interested in making himself wealthy. But as much as God had promised those who associate with the blessed, blessed seed line of Abraham would also be blessed, God, God also said, I will curse those who curse you. Or in other words, those who come against this blessed line, they will also reap some of the consequences as well, some of the cursings as well. And there's a way in which now Laban is going to experience that. And how he's going to experience that is through Jacob, where God will use Jacob as an instrument now in Laban's life. You see, Laban is not the only crafty person. Jacob is also crafty and a scheming person at heart. And by doing this, Laban sets up his own trap. Look at verse 37 to 40. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. And he put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. So what Jacob did was this. He saw, okay, this is what, this is what Laban has done. So what does Jacob do? He cuts off branches from three types of trees, the, the poplar, the almond, and the plane trees. Cuts off branches from these trees, then he strips off the bark from them until just the inner white of these branches are exposed. And he places them in the watering troughs where these animals would come to drink during the breeding season. And he said, well, why is Jacob doing this? Well, there are two possibilities. The one possibility is that this is superstition. There were, you know, uh, quite a few commentators say that there were superstitions in those days where that when animals were breeding, if there was a strong visual impression on these, made on these animals that were breeding, then the color of their offspring would match the color of the visual impression that was made on them while they were breeding. So if you had sheep that were breeding, and during that time they saw stripes and spots, and it made a strong impression on them, then the belief was that their, their offspring would also be striped or spotted. But this was just pure superstition. 
In fact, this past week, again, I was looking up superstitions uh, surrounding pregnancy and childbirth, and because Mr. Google has all the answers, I checked it up on Google, and here's one superstition where it says, according to this superstition, in certain cultures, if a pregnant woman looks intently at an animal, her baby can bear the resemblance to that animal. So the superstition is, don't look intently at animals, because you don't want your baby looking like that. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, that's why it's a superstition. But there's a sense in which that's probably what, it, it, it's a possibility that that's what Jacob was doing. Something based on the super, superstition of the day. That if the animals had this visual impression on them while they were breeding, then their offspring would look like the color of the thing that made an impression on their minds. Now the other possibility is a scientific reason. One commentator has noted that you know, during the period of conception, the kind of food, the kind of nutrition that the parents get can affect the genetic expression of the offspring. So it is possible that some of the nutrients from the bark of these trees, tree branches that were peeled, some nutrients now that's present in the water while the animals are coming to drink, these nutrients may have you know, while they were breeding, they may have in some way affected their genetic expression, and so then now the you know, offspring that were born were spotted and, spotted and speckled. So that's another possibility. It could be either one of these reasons. Now, in addition to this, we see that Jacob also practiced selective animal breeding. Look at verses 41 and 42. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that he might breed among the stick, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the stock, he may not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So in other words, Jacob would also select the just the stronger animals for breeding. And so when he saw the stronger, more, you know, healthier animals, he would put these peeled off branches and, and put them in the water only for these stronger animals. So the result was that over time, Jacob was getting all the stronger animals, which were spotted and striped, while Laban's animals were becoming weaker and weaker. Interesting scheme by Jacob, isn't it? Now there's also an interesting wordplay between the word, the, the poplar tree, from which the branches were cut, and the white exposed parts of the branches, and the name Laban. See, because the Hebrew word for poplar and white, they're puns for the name Laban. Because you know what Laban means? White. So Jacob's scheming was essentially saying, well, Laban or Mr. White, I'll give you a taste of your own medicine. Let me put some white in this. And so essentially here, God is judging Laban and working through, um, 
through Jacob for all that he's done to Jacob, through the scheming of Jacob. And then verse 43 says, Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. So Jacob, over time, we'll see later uh, next week, that this was a period of another six years. So Jacob, over a period of six years, by doing this, has become a very rich man with lots of servants, female servants, male servants, and even other animals. It says that he even had donkeys and even had camels. What's the significance of camels? If you remember from the time of Abraham, camels weren't particularly common in those days in households. So to, ca- to have a camel in those days is like having a Bentley now. And he had quite a few camels. So this is, he's become very wealthy. A- and the term there that's used, it's the same term that's used of Abraham and Isaac as they became rich and prosperous. And now that Jacob has become prosperous, it has become cause for others around him to be jealous of him and be resentful. Look at the next chapter and the first couple of verses. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. So the sons of Laban are, are now getting jealous and resentful because Jacob has become so rich and so prosperous. And Jacob also noticed that Laban himself did not regard him with favor anymore. You know, at least previously on the outside, Laban, you know, may have been nice to Jacob. Inasmuch as Jacob was a man who would bring him all the prosperity and the riches. But now even outwardly with Laban, there's a change in his disposition toward Jacob. And there's a rising tension now between Laban and his sons and Jacob. And in this predicament, the Lord appears to Jacob. Verse 3, it says, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. The Lord says, Jacob, I will be with you. It's time for you to go back home. And so now Jacob calls his wives privately into a field where no one else can hear them and gives them a reason as to why they should come along with him and leave Laban's home. Look at verse 4 and 5. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flocks was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. So Jacob tells his wife, your father, he doesn't favor me anymore. But you know what? The God, God, the God of my father has always been with me. His favor is toward me still. 
And now Jacob explains himself in verses 6 through 9. He says, You know that I have served your father with all my strength, and yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, The spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, The striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. So Jacob tells his wives, Listen, all this time I have worked hard for your father. But even these last six years, your father kept changing the terms of my wages. You know, one time Laban would say, Jacob, your wages are spotted animals. And when those spotted animals would increase, then Laban would come and say, okay, now I'm changing your wage. From now on, it's striped animals. That's going to be your wage. And when those striped animals increase, then Laban would come and say, no, it's changed again. And in this way, he cha- uh, Jacob says, he changed my wages ten times. But it was God every time who gave me the increase of whichever oddly colored animal, despite the constant changes that your father made. But how does Jacob know this for sure? How does Jacob know that this is God? Well, Jacob says, well, God revealed this to me in a dream. Verses 10 to 13. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. So God appears to Jacob in a dream, and he says, Jacob, I see how Laban has been treating you, and I care for you. And know this, Jacob, you will have an increase of the striped and the spot, spotted and the mottled animals, those oddly colored animals. This is my doing. I want you to understand that. And then God also says, For I am the God of Bethel, the same God who appeared to you in Bethel, that God, I am that same God, and I have been faithful to you. And the implication also is that I am here with you, Jacob, in Padan Aram. Remember Jacob thought, oh, are you just going to be restricted to Bethel? But God is saying, no, no, I'm not restricted just there. Yes, I appear to you there. I'm the God who appeared to you in Bethel, but I'm here as well with you. I'm not restricted just to that place. I have always been with you. Now go back from this land and return to the land of your fathers. Now how do his wives respond? Verse 14 and 15. 
Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and he has indeed devoured our money. And what you see here is that Rachel and Leah, they are eager to actually leave their father's home. Essentially, they're saying, Jacob, you know, you worked hard for all this while, for the 14 years as bridal price. And our father just sold us like we were just commodities. In all this time, our father has not given us anything. I mean, the wages earned during that time, you know, at least a significant portion as bridal price should have then finally gone to the daughters. But Laban doesn't give anything to his daughters. He has kept it all for himself, all the prosperity that he's had. So the daughters say, we've just been treated like foreigners and there's nothing for us here and there's nothing for our children. And here's the interesting thing, or the wonderful thing. Now, even Jacob's wives understand that it is God who has brought about Jacob's prosperity. Look at verse 16. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So they're saying, Jacob, we have nothing here. But we see what God has done in and through you. And we will come with you. So at the end of this scene, we see Jacob, who came with nothing to Laban's home, to Padanaram where he didn't even have the bridal price to pay to marry one of Laban's daughters. And despite all the difficulties through all these years, despite Laban being so deceitful and always looking to take advantage of Jacob, at the end of the day, Jacob has now become very prosperous, significantly greater than Laban. See, this wasn't ultimately because of Jacob's superstition or scheming. It was the blessing of God. God is the source of all of Jacob's blessings. I mean, last week we saw that the many children that Jacob had was not because of anything that they did. This was all of God's doing. It was his blessing. Now, even the prosperity that Jacob has now is as a result of God's blessing. And everyone in this section recognizes it. Laban recognized it at the start, at least when he had the riches, said, oh, this is God's blessing. Then Jacob recognizes it. In the end, even Jacob's wives also recognizes it. And the reason that Jacob was blessed this way, it's because it is all part of God, that, that Abrahamic promise. That's why Jacob has been so blessed this way. So when you think about it, you know, Jacob didn't have to scheme. Even in the end when, you know, Laban was trying to loot him, you know, he did the tit for tat kind of thing, even though, you know, he did it lawfully. 
He didn't have to do even that. He just had to trust God and God would bless him. He just needed to do that. But despite that, what you see is even through Jacob's scheming, even here, God blesses him abundantly and prospers him. All blessing. Here's the principle. All blessings ultimately come from God and not because of how diligent or smart man is. Let me say that again. All blessings ultimately come from God not because of, and not because of how diligent or smart man is. You know, perhaps as we're thinking of applying it, Perhaps you're a really smart person. And you've been very successful in your studies, you're top of the class. Perhaps you're successful in your business or your job and you're doing really well financially. Or perhaps you've been successful in your parenting and you've raised godly children. Perhaps you've been successful in your marriage and have a great Christ-centered marriage. Or perhaps you've been successful in ministry or, and things are doing really well. Or perhaps you have a certain kind of giftedness and you know, great things are happening to you. Whatever it is that you have been successful at, brother, sister, understand this. It is ultimately God's. See, the Israelites, as they're listening to this section, for the first time, you know, we've talked about the context of this before. You know, they're, they're waiting in the plains of Moab before they're entering to you know, fight and conquer the promised land. So as they're listening to this uh, episode, and, and they know that once they conquer the land, they will amass a lot of riches. And what they would have been reminded of is this, that just as Jacob became prosperous because it was the Lord's doing, when they become prosperous, they also need to remember that, is, that it is ultimately not their doing. And so the warning is not to forget God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Give thanks to him for all that he has done. See, because when you forget God as the ultimate source of blessing, you will turn away, you will become self-sufficient and prideful, you will stray away from the Lord, you, that will be your ruin, and you will take your children and your children's children and everyone down that path of idolatry away from this good and great God. And so for us, even as believers, as Christians in this day and age, we should not forget that God is the ultimate source of our every blessing. 
It is all from His hand. It is not our doing. And we need to remind ourselves this. We need to remind our children this. We need to remind others around us this. It is this great and faithful God. And He alone deserves the glory. And the reason why He has prospered me is so that I can tell others about this great and faithful God. Not so I can hold it, not so I can keep it for myself, not so I can rely on myself, but so I can give Him glory, so I can rely on Him and call others to this great God as well. You know, the wonderful thing is, many years later, from the line of Jacob, would come Jesus Christ. Jacob came as a pauper and he went through all this turmoil and he is so prosperous. And yet what we know is that the Lord Jesus, he left behind the glories of heaven. And he came down into this world, into this sin-stricken world with nothing, with absolutely nothing. And he faced all the difficulties and the sin in this world. And then he took upon himself the wrath of God that you and I deserved for being self-sufficient, for being deceitful, for being prideful for tricking others and, and, and doing to others that tit-for-tat kind of thing. Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God that we deserved. And God sacrificed his beloved son, Jesus Christ, on that cross. Why? So that sinners like you and me could be forgiven of our sins. So that we would have this life where we're no longer going the way of idols. No longer living according to our sin. But we have a life that is now being transformed. A life that can give glory to Him. And see that God is at work. And be a blessing to Him. And also draw others to Himself. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer... I would say, if you continue to go down this path, it's the path of ruin and destruction and ultimately eternal damnation. But while there is still time, turn to Jesus and see what he has done. See who he is and what he has done on the cross. And if you say you believe, then turn from living for yourself. Turn from making much of yourself. Turn from living for your sin. And turn to Jesus and live for Him and live to make much of Him. And continue to live that way and call others to this great God who has revealed Himself in Jesus. And for those of us who are believers, let me just remind you just the way we started. The reason God blesses us or gives us any prosperity 
is not so we can hold it or not so we can point to ourselves. But it is so that we can give glory to God and say, how faithful have you, oh, oh God, how faithful have you been? And then be a blessing to others and in that time also call others to say, look at this great and faithful God. That's why God makes anyone prosperous. Let's pray together. Father, we marvel at your ways. We marvel at how you use pitiful creatures. How you use the choices of man. How you use the sinfulness and the schemings of man. And how, while you are never the author of sin, and how it is all still part of your sovereign plan, you bring about things in such a way that it is all for the good of your people and for your glory. Lord, we thank you for how you've been faithful to us again and again and again. Help us to never forget that. Help us to not forget your ways. Help us never to forget your works. Help us never to forget what Jesus has done on the cross for us or even take it for granted. Help us daily to turn away from ourselves and to see how faithful you have been and give you the glory that is due your name and even call others to yourself. Lord, we pray that you would glorify yourself through our gathering this morning and through our lives. For we pray all this in Jesus' precious name.